0: What is up today,
1: my friend? Today, I can. I want to say I'm at about 85% capacity in terms of vocals right now. I can talk. I mean, you sound pretty good. It's, it's getting there. It's much better. It's much, much better. Um, and that's exciting to me because I've just been missing the sound of my own voice. I'm one of those people, you know? I like to talk. I like to express myself, disrespect myself. But anyway how's your week been marv talk me through it son
0: <laughs> i mean after hearing that little snippet of rap from you the big dog oh yes that's pretty good yes yeah i've had a pretty good week um just trying to sort mastering for my album coming out which i've mentioned i think i mentioned it i think I'm, i mentioned it a couple of times you know
1: but i i want very he- much at the end stage i want to hear you talk about it i want to hear yeah, you talk about it. it's well, exciting i'm on two tracks Amazing, best tracks on the album. Wow, wow. That's wow. if
0: they make it, mate. I might. Oh, if they might change make my mind,
1: we oh, might. He might cut Mez out. He might cut Mez. <laughs> if they do, out. if they do, send a letter to his house, which is. See, <laughs> so, yeah, send a letter to his house. That's his yeah, address. Yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't even think I know your address off by heart, to be honest, mate.
0: Well, you're not my true friend then.
1: You don't know mine, so I've it
0: well don't want to embarrass you but there we go Our you bad. remember those days we had to like you had to remember people's phone numbers off by heart
1: i do think i remember going remember to it.
0: some. i remember going to someone's house and being like can i ring my mum from from your phone please and they go, <laughs> yes and you had to type type in the number
1: can i stay a bit longer but when you She'd were like, a kid yeah it's
0: fine but you got your podcast at five so
1: when when you were a kid there was only like what three telephones in existence anyway, mate, so put, there were only yeah, three numbers, so it'd be easy for you to remember
0: that's true nine 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 one 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 and then star star star
1: and mum, you know what's the album called What's your Name on Spotify, and when is the plan to get out? i want to know wow, it's
0: Afralune. a f r a l u n e which I found out at the weekend alexa cannot cannot do. You say Afroloon, it comes up Avril Levine, so that's that's great. Then fair enough. Um, <laughs> it'll be called. It'll be called wherever you go, there you are. And I'm going to be hopefully getting it all sorted um, before the end of this week, and I submit it. So it'll probably be about a couple of weeks' time, but I will announce it all on my socials. Which will all be the same: Facebook dot com slash Afroloon, Instagram dot com slash Afroloon, and if not, just go on our Instagram, go on the Fifty Ways Podcast Instagram, and there's probably some stories up there or some tags or
1: or we'll direct you. Know, you I'll messages. let I'll let
0: you do a I'll let you do a nice appreciation post to me saying how wonderful I am.
1: Well, I'm uh, I'm not going to do that because your head's harsh, al- harsh. Y- Your head's already too big for your hat and your headphones there, so I think. I think we'll just... You You can do it. You you can define your own music in yourself.
0: Absolutely harsh. Doesn't know my address. Doesn't know my phone number. Won't support me and my musical endeavours. And then as a go at the hat in the ear thing.
1: Marv, just delete my
0: number. Oh, hey, James. Christopher George Albert Lee Merritt. How is, uh, <laughs> how's your week been?
1: Yeah, my week's been okay. I've been working a fair bit more. Um, Been listening to loads of music. Been playing loads of guitar. And I'm posting videos honestly, again. Yeah. I'm posting yeah, videos again. Yeah, tell
0: us again. what you... What is your uh, what's your Instagram handle to to find you shredding some <laughs> lovely guitar over some tunes?
1: So my handle is all lowercase. It's James underscore Merritt underscore Guitar, and you love that. You can find me playing everything from Lizzo to Death to Metallica to Dire Straits. Um, I don't necessarily have a direction in mind. I just enjoy making videos and popping them up on on Instagram and Facebook. I am also on Facebook with the same handle.
0: If you've got any songs, basically, you want Mez to cover, they can be as obscure as you want, they can be as classic as you want. James underscore Merrick guitar on Instagram. That's M-E-R-R-E-T. Thank you. And chuck him a DM and go, hey, cover this song. He's got it. He's I've, got it I've got covered, it. yeah?
1: And a secondary announcement, which has only been... Amongst my close friends and family, as of late, oh. I have been working on an album for a little while now. Uh, a bit of inspiration taken from you there, Marv. It's instrumental. Oh yeah,
0: this this old man, eh? Right? That old this man, dog?
1: that old man. I'm staring at hey. on me screen. Um, yeah, so I'm going to be hopefully releasing that in the next month or so. And keep an eye on that Instagram page. It's going to be I'm going to be promoting it so much. You're going to have enough of me. So yes, that's my week, that's my life. And list off the patrons for me, chap. I want to thank them personally. <laughs> tell me the names.
0: Thank them personally. Tell, well, tell
1: me the names, and I will give them a rundown.
0: I like that. Well, we had we had four on the last podcast, and we I did. believe that we've added an extra one. It actually, came in pretty much the day after we, we stopped recording. It's a good turnover. That I'll take that. Two a little turnover. So we had. Sam Hanlon.
1: Sam, legend. Love you. Keep doing your thing. Always there for you. Give me a shout. Luke Smith. Luke Smith, legend. Keep doing your thing. Always there for you. My name's Mez, not Bez. Ooh. So keep rocking. Ollie Cant. Ollie Cant. Special place in my heart. Always, always. Keep rocking. You're a legend.
0: Jack Sharp.
1: Jack Sharp. Knows all he needs to. That's all I'll say on him. <laughs> That's
0: very ominous. And the new one. New one. One of my one of my best friends and my brothers. Here we go. John
1: Murphy. John Murphy. John Murphy. Keep rocking, kid. I hope you enjoyed the vid. I hope you all enjoyed the vids, actually. Um, oh. We very much appreciate being pra- patronized. Patronage.
0: We very much. I enjoy being patronized, you know. Patronized. That's deal, <laughs> I don't care about it. I don't care about it. Patronize me all you want. But again, if you want to join them, 50 Ways Podcasts. That's 5-0 Podcast on Patreon. Uh, we've only got a basic tier at the minute, £3 a month. You get the full unedited episode a day early, which is on Wednesday, because these come up on Thursday. I've got days of the week there, mess. Um, got them down, yeah. dude. And you get a shout out on this very podcast. Yes. it's so, all you five, we really, really appreciate you. We couldn't be more appreciative. Yes. You know what I'm saying?
1: Absolutely. I quite agree. Nice. I quite agree.
0: Now let's actually give them something to listen to, you know, instead of ten minutes of us talking about
1: ourselves
0: and our albums, which we've both got coming out, and um, we're just gonna bore everyone to death about it. But yeah,
1: yeah, I mean we're just we're just awaiting that million dollar contract, I think, to be honest with you. It's gonna it's inevitable. Exactly. It's inevitable. The stuff on it my really, album really stuff on my album is genius. You have never genius. heard an album like this before. It's it's alright. Give it a listen. Let me know what you think. If you don't like it, then you're perfectly entitled to your opinion.
0: Well. Wow. Some people might not know that our intro music is actually a piece of music that you've written which will be on this said album, yes?
1: Indeed, yes. It's a uh it's a song called Doorways. Um it will be making an appearance on the album. Um and Marv loved it so much that it became became the intro music it's not even the finished product yeah <laughs> and he's go. he's uh, decided to take that so uh, I'm not going to say no I'm going to say yes you can have that and you can have it for free while you're at it
0: <laughs> you can have the nice 15 20 seconds of it gratis until I get kicked yes, I until
1: I get that. kicked off the podcast inevitably and then I'll start suing for rights
0: I like that yes yeah I hope that I hope that day comes that we get so successful and famous that we end up hating each other
1: well I mean I kind of already hate you. It's just a different uh, varying degree, isn't it, really? Uh, okay then,
0: okay. Well, we had the recap on the albums that we got we we gave ourselves to listen to. So you gave me Bav Hell Two and you gave me Maiden Heaven. Yes. And Black Star David Bowie as well. Yes. So first off, Black Star David Bowie. Oh my god, it is fantastic. Um, it is actually it might be one of my favourite albums. It's
1: amazing, isn't it? Absolutely amazing.
0: Absolutely amazing. It's, absolutely amazing. it's <clears throat> there's so much freedom on it. Like nothing is necessarily metronomic done to a click. It's all very free and the guitar parts are amazing. All these parts that all these instruments play weave in at each other perfectly. It's so emotive. I I genuinely love that album. I think I've listened to it twice all the way through. Yeah. And yeah, I adore it. I adore it.
1: Yeah, it's fantastic. I'm glad I'm so glad you enjoyed it. I'm so glad you oh. enjoyed it.
0: I'm just annoyed that it, I, I don't know. I always had this thing where I never listen to stuff straight out the gate. Sometimes I like to give it some time, so yeah. it's kind of settled in, and I get that. Maybe people have formed their opinions, but I don't know. Yeah, recently I've been just trying to listen to stuff straight off the bat. That I don't know, but yes, very, very good. I'm, if you have not listened to that album, please, please go out and listen to it. It's sublime. It's amazing. Bad out of hell too, Merrick. Come
1: on, give me your, give me your. Come hints. on.
0: So, uh, it's very eighty sounding yeah i think it works well with his existing sound yeah which is obviously 70s rock uh most notably the kind of gated drum sound but then when i realized it was released in 1993 i went
1: <laughs> oh
0: that kind of dates it a little bit to that period i mean i know that kind of early 90s was was starting to shy away from all that sound obviously grunge coming in and stuff um ironically trying to s- getting drum sounds back to the 70s sounds but I still think it worked. I still think it worked in terms of meatloaf. Um, for now, I'm going to put that meatloaf back on the shelf. You know, I'm going to wrap it up in some cling film, put it up on the shelf and maybe wait till I'm a little bit hungry for it again. So please don't give me any more meatloaf is, is what I'm trying no, to say. No, in a nice, more, nice way. no more meatloaf. No more, no more meatloaf for me. And Made in Heaven. Oh, I really enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed it. For like, An album which I, you know, you want to be really kind to it. Um, You know, you you were saying it is is on their weaker side of their discography. Um, But like, if this is like on their weaker side, I can't even begin to fathom what their classic, amazing albums are going to sound. It should blow my socks off, you know?
1: Yeah, it's... When I said it was on their weaker side, I think I was coming at it from a perspective of a Queen fan, but of a certain era of Queen fan. The old rose tinted glasses came on and I'm looking at Night of the Rainbow 1974. Do you know what I mean?
0: Very much, very much. Um you don't fool me as a personal favourite. I'm a sucker for like a good acoustic, yeah, bluesy riff. Um and I'm hyped to listen to more Queen. I think you're getting me you've you've caught me, yeah? You charmed me. <laughs> yes. With this Queen bug. So you need to give me some other Queen albums to listen to. What is
1: the next one I should start with? Do you reckon I should start from the beginning? work my way up. I, I, my advice to you, so the first Queen album, the production isn't wonderful. It's not unlistenable. My advice to you would be Sheer Heart Attack would be the next one to look at, I reckon, uh, because that's got everything on it. Everything. To me, every facet of Queen can be contained into that album. So I, I'd say Sheer Heart Attack, and if you really enjoy that, Queen 2, and then Day at the Race is Night at the Opera. But we'll we'll check in and see how you're getting on okay. with that. I think. Okay.
0: Well, I'll I'll take one chunk. You know, one one album chunk. I'll go for sheer heart. Go attack. for sheer
1: heart attack. I'll, Do that.
0: I'll let you know how I get on in it. Um, how about you? Any albums that you had to listen to
1: for this week? There, there were, there were indeed. I Ooh. I took a plight to put aside my feelings. Uh, for. Sort of people taking Biggie and putting him in things that he really didn't ought to be in. Um, I listened to The King and I, um, which is a hundred percent a Faith Evans album. Yeah, I'm sorry, but it is whether whether she whether it's called Notorious or not, it's not a collaboration by definition. That is a Faith Evans record, and if you go into it with that attitude and ignore the interlude. <laughs> with the with the guy on it who plays Notorious in the movie, it's a good album. I actually enjoyed it. I thought it was I thought it was great. She's obviously very very talented. Um, like you said, the, the the jazzy sort of chords and the the movements and stuff. I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. Um, I do agree there are some points where Notorious is crowbarred in, and I don't love that. But it, uh, as I said, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a, as a standalone album, see it as a Faith Evans record. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to go into it.
0: Nice, nice. But Ten Wife Commandments. Draw the line there.
1: Uh, uh, Yeah, you've just brought that up, haven't you? No. Yeah,
0: I have to because it's very important.
1: No, no, just no. (laughs) That's my. If I, if I, were I a music journalist reviewing this album, Ten Wife Commandments. Just know.
0: But yeah, this is, again, exactly what we're trying to prove here on this podcast yeah. is like, just because you've read, um, you know, an article like the 20 worst posthumous albums of all time yeah. and you read and it's like, this is just completely unsalvageable and it's desecration and all these things and um, that already gives you a preconceived notion of what you think it should sound like. So you go in that, you remember what the person said and then you listen to it and you kind of go, yeah, it's really, really bad. But we're just telling you, No, like the whole point of music is that it's very subjective, it's very personal to the person that's listening to it. And we're just saying to you, okay, take those preconceived notions aside. We're gonna listen to it. We'll kind of say we're agreeing that maybe this is not their best work. You know, we're not gonna polish a turn and be like the king and I is is like Biggie's best work. You'll be an idiot if you Yeah. Yeah. But we're just saying, you know, like I think it's a really interesting look into how our relationship worked and then broke down and it's someone's side of it someone who was actually there um yeah but yeah i think you do quite good justice my friend
1: marv what are we doing this week
0: we are doing a topic of live albums not just now, live
1: albums though how do you mean not just live albums well i thought we were having a particular focus on ones that were considered not as good as some people might consider them.
0: Well, I think the I think the listeners of the podcast already know that we're, you know, we're going to pick the bad the bad albums from the thing, and then you know, kind of turn... Nah, that's that's the whole point of the thing, you know what I'm saying? Like,
1: yeah, but I just think it's know, important to make. They're it. all they're all idiots. They ain't gonna. <laughs> think they can of this.
0: They're all idiots. <laughs> they're just a penny old crap. We're going to talk about.
1: Come on. I don't think they're, you know, they're idiots. I, said, I think they're very intelligent, and I think they should be heard
0: let's switch our microphones back on. anyway
1: microphone back you on. lovely
0: lovely listeners yeah we're all back we're all loving it <laughs> anyways so yes live albums um topic of that and i don't have a lot of live albums in my collection i haven't really been a live album collector i much prefer studio albums if i have anything live it's usually a dvd because i just want to see how it's performed maybe i want to see how certain guitar parts are played um Maybe there are a certain spectacle. Do you have a lot of live albums
1: yourself? Are you a live album collector? What's your thoughts? I don't have a lot of live albums, but I as as we've discussed before, I tend to buy the ones that I've heard before or I've heard were good or etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. I've got about Twelve thousand Queen live at no, not that many. Um,
0: do you uh, like Queen? Ah, uh, I'm, I'm starting to think that you actually like Queen a little bit. <laughs> it
1: could be, it could be thought of as a, as a fan. Yeah,
0: I you Do you think? It. We'll put a little poll out. We'll ask everybody. Do you think Merritt would is like a, queen? queen? Do you think he should get into Queen? Yeah. You know, they're a promotional tool. They're a product. Yep. You know, as sad as it is to say, even if it is music and art, when you get signed to a major label, you want to make money from it. It has to become a product, and people want it to sell. So you could view them maybe as like a good promotional tool to kind of convince fans to come out. Uh, maybe the fan was at the show and wants a like kind of a souvenir, like a mentor. um but you know, to an artist, maybe a live album is like a good stop gap because you can kind of go, we've been hitting the road pretty hard releasing albums. I need a bit of a rest. Here's what we've kind of done. Let's just put that out there. Give me some time. You know, it fulfills record company contracts of certain amount of albums Um you know, keeps the train rolling if the it iron's does. hot you know what i'm saying it does um but i guess i could only really find about four types of like live albums so first one would be the artist records on tour and then they overdub in the studio from like a few missed notes to maybe completely redoing all of the vocals um which again very very common practice which I can't say for sure, and maybe conjecturally can say that maybe all live albums are like this, that, you know, you record, you do loads and loads of shows, you come back, you pick the best songs from the best shows or you pick the best best performances, you go in and you go, that note sounds out of tune, let's do this, let's record that, that vocal's pitchy, let's do that because you're doing a product and you want to show everyone, hey, this is us at our best. You know, we're not yeah. lying. This is what we can sound like just on that particular day. We didn't really get the tape. Uh, as you said, it's a promotional um, tool. Exactly. Second one would be the artist takes different performances of the same song and splices them together to make like a definitive performance. Um, so again, you know, you've done 30, 40 gigs and you've done 30, 40 takes of a song, you know, why can't you splice the first half of Stairway to heaven with the second half from another gig in Copenhagen? Like, it doesn't matter led I know Led Zeppelin can play. I know Led Zeppelin can perform well, so why would I want to go through and listen to like a terrible, terrible second half of a song when I'm buying a live album and I'd want to hear I want to hear it done well,
1: you know, yeah, of course, absolutely,
0: but again, it all gets contested. Third one would be like the artist takes different songs from different performances to make a complete live set list, and the last one, which seems a little bit. Um, not as common would be that the artist records themselves live without any overdubs um, or swapping of songs and maybe with a little bit of post-production just kind of puts out what was on the night exactly the exactly the same songs um, all the same recordings and performances and they just do a little bit of post-production tweaks and there you go no studio overdubbing no nothing Um, and then you obviously have bootlegs so Bootlegs, maybe not being so common nowadays, but like especially in like Led Zeppelin, like we said, early seventies rock bands, so the one I picked um was a guy called George straight, and it 's from the album the Cowboy rides away live from a t and t stadium now this one this one falls under the category of the last one I mentioned, which was the artist records it live without any overdubs, swapping songs it 's just what you hear on the night, slight like post
1: production stuff now.
0: I'm going to go out on the limb and say that you've never heard of this guy, George Strait.
1: Never in my life.
0: I have never, ever heard of this guy in my life until I was reading some articles. Now, he is monstrously huge. Now, when I say monstrously huge, Merritt, he is massive. Not in terms of what he looks like. I'm saying he's a pretty well-built man. I'm saying in terms of his accomplishments. Oh, my Lord, let me read you. Like it some of his lists, he's he's a country star, right? He's a country star. So, okay, yeah. the most, the most country music awards and Academy of Country Music nominations and wins than any artist. Most number one hits on Billboard's Hot Country Songs, which is forty four. Wow. The most number one hits by any artist. He's had sixty one number one hits.
1: Good lord.
0: Thirteen multi platinum, thirty three platinum, and thirty eight gold album certifications. Third behind Elvis and the Beatles. He's the 12th best-selling artist in America. He's the only artist to ever win Artist of the Decade in three different decades and the oldest winner, I think, at Country Music Awards there. Um, Had a 30-year consecutive top 10 single run with every single he released and recorded the most number one songs and top five songs in history.
1: Pretty rich dude, then.
0: Pretty rich dude and insanely insanely famous and successful and how i've how i've never heard of his name said uttered once that's crazy
1: that's absolutely crazy
0: i would i would bet my last bottom dollar baby that (laughs) i could say do you know george Strait is most people go don't have a clue don't have a clue um what's great is he has a greatest hits album and it's called 50 number ones (laughs) like (laughs) oh Georgie, baby. I love Georgie, that. Georgie, baby. Look at that. Just everyone's putting out their stuff. Well, oh, I'm number one. He's just there like, yeah, you got 50 of them.
1: Boom. <laughs> yes. You can only
0: dream of that success. It's insane. Also, Sorry.
1: side note, I've just looked him up on Spotify, cool. and the header, yep. the header photo is just him in like a 10-gallon hat with a <laughs> sign that just says choice cut steaks behind him. Love <laughs> oh, this guy. His- love this guy
0: so this album here was his farewell from touring this is this is his last ever gig he's ever gonna do along with him and all of his accolades his super super accolades one of the most successful people in music ever to ever do it this concert of course breaks the record for the most single show attendance 104,793 people
1: i mean that's still a lot of people that's, a lot. That, That's a lot, and you're and you're playing to them. That's insane, George. That's a lot of people got my respect, mate. Huge
0: amount of respect. Huge amount of respect. So, okay, this you know this this album, you know, George Strait. He's going to sell millions. Anything he does, he's a continued commercial success. I wouldn't say that he's part anything terrible. He's always kind of stayed on this kind of country music route. And this album is by no means like a failure. It's not a shit show. It's not, un- you know, not 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 necessarily enlist, but we'll get to that. You know, the songs amazing. Yeah, you know, spanning his whole career, they're all stone cold classics. You know, fifty number ones. The guy's done a greatest hits album. He's got sixty one number one hits. You know what I mean? He's killing the game. But the overall production's very good. The playing's very fantastic. I think um, it's very pleasing to the ear. But one thing I was not expecting was the amount of auto-tune on this guy's voice. It's closer to T-Pain than it is normal pro- I, I was
1: go- I was going to ask that. Is it like T-Pain level? Yeah.
0: We'll have to use T-Pain as a good reference because that's what everyone else does anyway. But for people who don't know what auto-tune is, that's kind of the umbrella term. Um, it was introduced in probably 97, 98 period. Something like that, um, yeah. Share, believed by Share being the first kind of big song that used it as like a as an effect on her voice Um, but basically it's a a studio tool that um, if a singer has done a take and there's a couple of notes which aren't on key uh, or on pitch you can kind of grab the note with this thing it detects it and you can move the note manipulate it around to get to the right note a popular one that we know is melodyne we've seen it done in the studio countless times you know you've done a very very good take you don't necessarily want to like over or punch in or like slice up the take or anything and you think just for the ease of financial and for time wise that's a good take the singer can sing that it's just on that particular take they didn't get it so you just move it around and it can sound very natural it can be done very very well and it happens on albums everywhere and you're so unaware that it's happening yes um oh it's so it's so extreme man it's so extreme it's on every single track from the first line from the first line um it sounds like someone that kind of like they got the album ready got got it recorded got back and went right we're in george strait george strait's mega mansion mixing hut studio <laughs> we're doing this and they've kind of done they've they printed the final version right they saved it they've gone hey donnie hey come in here mate look at this thing this is mental innit, it right auto-tune mix turned it all the way up oh hey? that's hilarious that is mate that's funny in it oh hey. bloody hell son get back, yeah. get back and make some steaks yeah but well, they well they, then he's kind of accidentally auto saved it, and that's the one that's been shipped to the uh, record label. Oh man! But anyway, the first track, check yes or no. The pop after he gets his introduction is like insane. It's amazing. That's a I, you know he's walking out to a hun- over a hundred thousand fans. Insane, absolutely like, insane. Just can't fathom it. Just can't fathom it. He's just casually walking out. But the first line, it started way back in third grade. Is the first line. It's so warbly from the auto tune it's instantly recognizable that something's been like altered yeah um, or touched up because again you're, you're you're listening to a live album so your brain is is already in that mode of okay this isn't a studio thing i know you kind of know what to expect crowd noise maybe some things aren't necessarily as audible or as heard kind of got to account for everything um but yeah this instantly the second you hear that auto tune you kind of go oh wow it almost gets you back into like a studio album mindset because it's that heavily doctored but more more to the extreme point of like it's like the shared believing or the t-pain thing we were like okay this is country star that i know can sing and like this has now been put on it has, has he decided to do that himself is it like a conscious artistic decision when it didn't need to be done in the first place? Um you know, there's videos on YouTube where there's no auto-tune at all. People have filmed the concert, so he wasn't using autotune live, so that's not necessarily the problem there. No. He's definitely put on afterwards, but it's just weird to hear. It's just so, it was so out of the blue, and it really just marks the whole record. It marks the whole album. You know, the fact that it is George Strait, and the fact that it has amazing songs, and they're played very, very well, is in its favor, but, To try and get past that auto-tune is is next to impossible, you know? So, I I, I don't know, Like, How would you explain that? How would you explain how that auto-tune got on there in the first place?
1: I mean, it it sounds like the the story you gave, where the producer was just kind of like, auto-save, oh, we'll change something there. Yeah. Ah, that's already saved. That's fine, that. Yeah. (laughs) All right, label. Yeah, it's on the way, mate. I can't see that working, so obviously... As we've already discussed, auto tune can be used to correct, but it also can be used as an expression of creativity. Um, it to to me, uh, so I haven't listened to this album. Obviously, the fact that it's a country album with that much auto tune on it that it's it's audibly you're aware of it from the first couple of words. I can imagine that must must be like the most disjointed thing ever. That's that must be very very strange. Um, mm. I mean, obviously, at this point in his career, there's. I can imagine. I can imagine him apologising, but there can't be any like mass hysteria or worry because it's, it's George Strait. Like this dude, he's got nothing to prove, nothing to prove. He's like
0: he is just, he is just walking out celebrating, just yeah. playing them hits.
1: Playing he's them he's. Hits potentially biggest player in the country game Like he's chilling he don't care every, every like the midas touch everything
0: he's done has turned to gold which or is platinum or multi-platinum
1: amazing amazing it's, it's like elvis in the 80s basically at this point isn't it it wouldn't take a lot for it to sound edited and not edited if you see what i mean especially at his level he'd be able to change that and make it like he sang every note perfectly and it it probably would sound a little bit jarring depending on how off he was but it certainly wouldn't sound to the level of up down by t-pain do you know what i mean <laughs> i mean yeah that that's
0: where your head goes to yeah is is just t-pain that kind of big auto-tune craze using it as an effect yeah yeah exactly um and again george Strait can sing he can sing very, very well. He's proved it several, several hundreds of times. Um, it's just I may maybe there's an element of I'm George Strait, I can do what I want. Let's maybe mess around with it. So I if suppose. I want to put this on my song, no one's gonna tell me not to because everything I've done has just been uber successful. Yeah. And you know, yeah. <clears throat> as much as maybe. Again, I know nothing of this guy until I listened to this album. Um, you know, your ego is going to get out of control. It's going to get quite pretty big and maybe for a good reason. Um, so maybe that's the kind of thing. of just like, I don't care. Put whatever you want. You know, or he's fobbed it off to someone and gone, do whatever you want with it. It's going to sell. It's got my name on it. He's selling steaks out of his back house. He knows what he's doing, all right?
1: Yeah, not just steaks, but prime cuts. But
0: yeah, maybe maybe that was what it was. My kind of educated guess would be that, you know, AT&T were a big part of this. They probably funded it. They probably it was in their stadium. Um, so probably some monetary gain there. And maybe they've got a, maybe they have a say in terms of how the album sounds. Now it could have been up to them to, they, they might may have want a nice polished product that works. It was a TV special as well. And apparently on the TV special, this, the same auto-tune was there. So I guess the DVD version, the CD version is all the same. Maybe it was out of his hands, and which is scary because you think of how successful and how influential and important this guy is, George Strait, that he even, like he's got like the, all the resources that he, maybe it was even out of his control then that he couldn't rectify that issue. That first verse, that first verse on the first song, Check Yes or No, which again is a great song, but that's the best example of what the whole album sounds like. It's most auto-tuned. Notes are getting grabbed by the software like so violently that it's kind of really distracting. Um, you know, Murder on Music Row is also quite a heavy offender. The grabbing of notes needs to be heard on like every single line, like every line of the song. You can just hear some quite drastic auto again. We're not talking soft auto-tune. There may be slight, slight patches through this whole album where the auto-tune works, but mostly it is just very over the top and very much a heavy offender. Here for a long time, which is what Sheryl was on, that first chorus harmony is just like, oh, it's just so fake, so plastic. And especially for musicians, you just hear it straight away and you just cannot switch it off. So for a vocalist, it must be twice as horrible to have to sit through jason Aldean, who i've never heard of again they do a song called full hearted memory which i think is an old song i very much enjoyed the song but yeah just the fact that he was like damn he sung that good yeah it's just so auto-tuned that's track three
1: <laughs> wow. it really
0: ca- it really like kind of ironically caps off it caps off the kind of glaring problem um i would say the least offensive is a showman's life It's actually a bearable listen. So if you do want to listen to this album, I do encourage you to listen to it because it's just interesting. It's so interesting that... It has piqued my
1: interest, yeah.
0: Something of that magnitude that has gone horribly wrong, you know, horribly over the top, has happened to someone of this caliber. Like, think of that on a Beatles record or or an Elvis record. Like, that much auto-tune. Like, T-Pain level auto-tune. Like, imagine if the Beatles done, like... Um, all of their studio out there, Sergeant Pepper's remastered for the seventy-eighth anniversary, and all the lines are auto-tuned to oblivion. You'd be like, "This is sorry, no, it'd be discarded. It would be, it'd be generally hated across the board."
1: Yeah, it would. Like, absolutely. Yeah,
0: I just really think it would. Who, who signed off on it? To me, it would be AT T. It'd be someone higher up there that's just gone. This is a product. It's definitely going to sell. They have no worries about how it will do performance-wise. Again, I think it hit top 10, top five. So guaranteed money all round. And people love George Strait. Um, what do you think your kind of guess would be on something like that? I, I think it's up for
1: discussion. I mean, obviously it's up for discussion, but it it could well have been that sort of attitude either way, from him, from the label, whatever. I mean... We've had this discussion before with certain songs where it's like, you you must have had about three engineers, at, at least one producer, a band. People have played on this. And then you've got the engineer, the sound engineer who's going to be mixing it. Then if it's big enough, it's going to be taken to another location to master it. Then the label's going to hear it. And then they're going to promote it and put it out, mass produce it, put it out. A lot of people, in especially in today's music, in fact, pretty much in every, every time in the music industry, a lot of people are going to hear this song before your ears ever touch it. Given, given the amount of people who would have listened to this, and obviously given that music is an incredibly personal thing, it's an incredibly sentimental thing, You can't tell me that the amount especially with a guy like George Strait the level that he's at, pretty much as high as you can get um, Mm. you can't tell me that every single one of them listened to it and went yeah sounds good like even even from a critical standpoint not a money making standpoint but a critiquing standpoint you can't tell me they all listened to it and went I'm going to take that home and I'm going to put that on like surely not biggest country artist in the world, third in sales after the Beatles and Elvis. Are 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 you not gonna, you know what I mean? You're not gonna be like, hey, he- hello, George's representative, how you doing? Have you heard this?
0: Yeah, I have, kid. Or or I think oh, it sounds great, re- darn good.
1: That was going to be my next point. Maybe they had and they went, yeah, I've heard this. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Any thoughts? Yeah, yeah. Some questions. (laughs) Yeah, um, sounds good, mate. Ah, okay. And obviously, with how interchangeable a lot of people are within the music industry, especially at that level, oh, if you don't want to do it, it's about 100 other people outside waiting for the job. Maybe it was just a case of just do as you're told, all right? Maybe George
0: Strait just really liked T-Pain and was like, (laughs) <laughs> i'm gonna do that boy i've, I've got Maybe to do sure that. loved it um, i've got to do that now. exactly he'd actually been using auto tune in his record since about 2000 so when auto tune came out now personally i don't think that he needs to use it i think he's a brilliant singer as it is but even then in 2000 like it's slightly noticeable you can really hear this you know it's not as smooth as it should be to a professional level there are slight little uh slight little things there okay um, So it's on his 2001 album, "The Road Less Traveled." Um, It's called "Stars on the Water." Now, it's very much in the vein of this live album, and that's on a studio record. When you get to the chorus, it's very—it's taking the notes, it's grabbing it and manipulating it straight down, and it has that T-Painy kind of effect, but it's pre-T-Pain. So really, T-Pain rips off George Strait. That's how influential George Strait is, my friend. Um, But. But it's prevalent, basically it's prevalent in his work from 2000 onwards. So for 13 years, you could say that maybe why a lot of people disregard it and don't worry about it is either that because they've heard that in his music for a good 13 years, they're used to it. It's a part of his sound almost, and that they don't worry about it. They kind of just go, it's George Strait. They they don't worry, They they get rid of that oversight in their head because the songs are that good. The performances are that good. He's that historic. He's that... much of a legend kind of status um again maybe my like more educated guess might be that they all mixed it and they went this sounds good this is without the auto tune they've done a very very good mix maybe they've done slight melodyne auto tune adjustments that sound natural and then when they send that off to AT&T because there might be a different contract in terms of like performances and who owns the rights to to the performance itself or the audio and the video AT&T then might've got their own mixes to then add all this stuff on. That might be a good log- logical guess, but then that kind of then doesn't follow the narrative that his, his studio works post 2000, especially that stars on the water song has very, very violent auto tune on it. It's very baffling to me because it's such a massive part of this record that you cannot, you can't switch your brain off from it. It is there. It's the vocals. The vocals are the songs and it's just glaring you in the face. And you know, we're all self-conscious of our playing from time to time, and our playing abilities and stuff. And you know, I'm not. It comes to becoming a fully rounded kind of player. No, you're not. You're no, just I'm great.
1: A, I'm just fantastic at everything, to be honest. You're just bloody fantastic. I mean, you're pretty good. To be you know, honest. rock, um, metal, Battle. You know you... <laughs> rock, classic rock, some more heavy rock, hey, eighties rock, rock, heavy rock, <laughs> new wave of British heavy rock yeah american rock Anymore. modern rock country james rock.
0: underscore merit guitar for all of your oh he's added and he's added country rock he's gonna do george Strait. i'm gonna start you should do a george Strait yeah, video i
1: shouldn't no, i shouldn't i really
0: yeah i think like it's just a it's just a weird one i think that with autotune especially it I think it implies to maybe just general public that you can't sing. People use auto tune like that because they can't sing. They're not a real singer. The authenticity is not there. Um, and that's what it kind of gives off. So it does make me, it does bogg my mind that, um, why it was there in the first place. Now I think the songs redeem it. I think the artist redeems it, but I would encourage people to listen to this album um just just for the sheer the sheer auto tune just how abrasive it is how violent it is and really it's a testament to really be careful who mixes your stuff you know
1: yeah absolutely um
0: and go listen to him he's got amazing songs start with the 50 greatest hits you know only 50 you know come on george mate (laughs) slacking man 50 come on come on
1: mate Come on. I, I'm going to go and listen to that album.
0: Where is the line between leaving in a mistake and rectifying a mistake? Like, what what should it be? Should it be a couple of kick drum hits if the band goes out of time, if there's a flubbed vocal here and there? Do you want everything to kind of be sterilized and to be changed and altered? Auto-tuned vocals, who knows? Maybe replay guitars, replay drums, replay harmonies. Where do you think the line is drawn, Merit? Do you think that you know? Do you want to hear Freddie Mercury go out of tune and you know maybe badly so, and maybe if Brian May's guitar goes out of tune? Like, do you want to hear that for the authenticity kind of angle, or are you happy that as long as it's done tastefully, as long as the certain things have been touched right and and can almost be like undetected, you know, because you're not going to know if something's been auto tuned very very well we're never going to know
1: but do you think that's acceptable where do you kind of draw the line yourself it's hard to say it's really difficult to say uh i think as i said last time i think the buck kind of stops with the family with the friends with the people who have worked with them i don't know see because freddie mercury for example he was very critical about his piano playing he didn't think he was a good pianist at all um when in reality some of the lines you hear are ridiculous very very
0: i mean don't 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 stop me now is like i would say quite hard quite a challenging piece to play live
1: perfectly yeah absolutely
0: especially trying to do the harmonies as well for me like
1: i like the raw experience if he goes out of tune he goes out of tune he's a human being you know he's a human being and it's important to remember that and it's something that a lot of us don't think about when we take our favorite bands into account we don't want to see them mess up but they are human beings they're not superhuman they're not computers but i feel like we accept that and we reciprocate that simply because we enjoy the content they produce as much as we do if you see do you see where i'm coming from there i
0: i get exactly what you mean i think Again, that human element is very important. I think it's funny to watch bands nearly shit the bed and go out of time a little bit or a solo be flubbed or something like that. I think, it, I think it adds into when you're actually watching somebody, I think that adds a lot. Maybe when I'm sat at home and I've spent £10, £15, £20, some form of metric of money on a live performance and most of it is them on their off day, I think I'd be like, this is false advertising. This is not very good. You want people to like that. You want people to go to these live albums and CDs and DVDs to repeatedly watch them because they're of good quality. You don't want to just put off, put on all your flaws. And again, you could have performed 50, 60 gigs that year on that touring cycle, 100 gigs, recorded them all. You know, you have got to listen for and pick them. So, you know, you might do a very good, uh, Let's just pick metallic. Around. You might, you know, Enter Sandman might be very, very good this one night in Ireland, but the solo is flubbed a little bit. But then you go to Copenhagen, and the solo is perfect. So, to me, I don't think there's no problem with getting Kirk's lead guitar track, pulling it over. Hey, it fits pretty well. Maybe time stretch little here and there, but it comes out as a good product. That to me is good. I don't want to be there like, oh, that's the one with the Kirk messing up solo because you think, well, no, like. I know that he's capable of doing it. I'm expecting that. I don't want to see that. If I want to see that, I'd go live. You know what I'm saying? Or like a YouTube clip or someone watching it live.
1: I quite agree with you. I think it's it's human to make mistakes. I think it's acceptable to make mistakes because we all do. But just be aware that, you know, not everyone's going to enjoy that. And that is exactly. that's the burden of opinion
0: that is the burden of opinion and what we're up to as well
1: as, as well you know
0: I'll, i've got so many notes on like my thoughts about what live is and all these things but i want to hear your album pick to be honest with you so <laughs> Merritt, you go ahead i'm going to take a back seat i'm going to take a little swig of me squash you tell me what album you listen to
1: please so i focused on two uh albums during the course of this week to bring to the table the first album is called Having Fun With Elvis On Stage. Now, this is an Elvis Presley album. It was released in 1974. And by most people's own definition, it is a spoken word concert. There's a simple reason for that. I have, I have lined it up. It is 37 minutes of Elvis Presley cracking jokes on stage. That's it's it. banter with little to no musical content.
0: That should be your um memoir type.
1: <laughs> yes. I listened to this and there was a there was a, a an article on a blog, so it's opinion. It's not factual, but I don't need it to be factual, it's an opinion. And it simply reads, You know those live albums that are recorded at multiple concerts? And they sound a little bit disjointed, so one of the types that we were talking about. We'll take that album and then take away all of the music and just leave the stage banter. Now, I'm not joking. That is what this album is. When I said little to no, I'm talking about, you know, in between sets, Marv, we a band. We've done it ourselves. You'll kind of play the root chord or you'll do like a, a couple of strikes on something. I don't know why we do it. I think it's, I think it's that, I think it's a compromise to noodling.
0: Yeah. It's like a, a like a weird nervousness of like, I'm just, I'm just going to check. And make sure it's working. I know what this chord is. I'm just going to, yeah, I'm just yeah. going to prep everyone that like this is going to come up.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, despite the intro I've given it, I see it as a relatively nice and sincere look into what Elvis was like without the music. Um, I don't know how much you know about Elvis, personality-wise. He was quite an interesting human being, but when you become that famous and have that much money, you you do become interesting <laughs> at that point.
0: When you're, when you're bigger than George Strait, yeah, which must be absolutely phenomenal. Insane.
1: Good. That man was too famous. I do know a story, however, about when he was on the freeway had someone had broken down on the side of the road and they were trying to get AAA or whatever to come out and no one was answering. So he just sent back a brand new Cadillac. Legend. That's that's what he did. He sent back a brand new Cadillac and he went, you you have that. Oh, thank you very much. Eddie Cochran, 1950s.
0: <laughs> Our first Elvis impersonation. On the podcast. Episode
1: four. It only took four episodes.
0: It only took four episodes to bust out the (laughs) album.
1: So, I will give you backstory on this album. It was created by his manager. I'm going to ask you if you know his name.
0: Colonel Tom
1: Parker? Correct. It is Colonel Tom Parker. However, he wasn't a colonel and his name wasn't Tom Parker. But anyway. (laughs) So... (laughs) <laughs> I love that. It's so good, isn't it?
0: <laughs> you're correct, but you Yeah, wrong.
1: essentially. He was known as that. So it was created by his manager as a ploy to self-release Elvis through his own label, which was, which was Boxcar Records. And the reason why it was done is because it would not consist of any content that would be contractually owned by RCA. Or at the time, so he thought. Um, his idea was re- was to theoretically retain profits from the album, but later on RCA <laughs> claimed the rights anyway. <laughs> so all that in vain, all that in vain. Um, wow. Um, but yeah, Boxcar Records was formed to manage Elvis's commercial rights. So the the general feedback on YouTube, because this is the only place I could listen to it. By the way, it's not on Spotify. It's not there. And I don't own it. Um, the general feedback is good. Fans love it. Fans absolutely love it. Yeah, I know. Um, it's really weird to me that they would. Now, it's actually quite entertaining. There are some points where it is funny. But as I'm sure you know, when you, when you tour, when you gig, you tend to have the same sort of stock phrases ready to go. It's not different every night. It's because a show is rehearsed, and you want to make sure that you're retaining that. So it does get a little tiresome after a while. But yeah, the general fan response on YouTube is positive. However, it does have, of course, the odd comment ripping it to shreds.
0: The old negative trolls, love it, love it.
1: And it usually scores one out of five stars by critics. So, despite seeing the good feedback it is often described as the worst elvis album ever because of course it is there's basically no music on it i'd like to know what it what it has outsold you want to know what you it's know what outsold mean?
0: yeah that'd be interesting when like if you compare it to say like a drake record now or anything i don't know That would any recent yeah, you think
1: that would be interesting to yeah. know but yeah released in 74 like i said i listened to this whole thing which was difficult um but not impossible to get. Even,
0: through. even though it was about half an hour, did it feel like half an hour? Did it it, it longer? felt
1: longer. It felt way longer. Um, but we're musicians. When we get the headphones in, we want to hear want to hear some good. Want to hear some pop tunes. Do you know what I mean? So, <laughs> another another thing that I think could be a contributing factor here. It could be a case of, like Beatlemania. So, for example, because Elvis released it, as you've already said, it's Elvis. People are going to go out and buy it, and because yeah. Elvis was as big a star as he was, he um. He he just had an enormous reach, didn't he? he? An enormous reach. There are a few stories in there, which are quite good. He talks about when he first recorded. Um, and he condenses down the whole timeline, very very small. There's a point where he has a girl on stage, and so there's no video with this, or there might be a video, but yeah. I didn't see one. Um, as what she, he's like, oh, it's it's your birthday, is it? And she's like, yeah, it is. And he's like, what do you want then? And she goes, I I want a scarf. So obviously they sell in scarves. So I would imagine a merch stand or something. Uh, and he gives what gives her El- a scarf. Elvis,
0: Elvis on the merch stand after the gig.
1: <laughs> yes, I sell my own you merch. Want to
0: sell my scarf, honey?
1: Oh, hound dog. <laughs> Buy some merch on the way. You want up. to shove
0: a little? You want to shove a little? Creature in the shroud
1: But yes, I, we're, we're both
0: we're both Elvis impersonators. Uh, so uh, yes. Hire us, please.
1: Please, pay me. So yes, that was the most interesting one i could find because there's no music on it at all and it usually ranks as the worst live album because big because of that very reason there's no music on it it's just it is literally 37 minutes of elvis cracking jokes uh and actually yeah i think you should listen to it just just to hear what i mean
0: i think i will i think i will um but yeah would you agree like that it's it's That is just, that is as close to what a live album should be, that it's fully live.
1: Well, the only edits on it are they've taken out the songs. That's it. There you
0: go. Compare it to Live at the Rainbow, 74, where Freddie Mercury has autotune in his voice. Who's got more of the kind of studio touch-up work? What's what's less authentic in that regard? It would be the auto-tuned Freddie Mercury, wouldn't it?
1: Well, yeah, if that's how you're going to define it, definitely.
0: But does that... Then alter your perception of Queen, how they were, what they accomplished with the fact that a posthumous release like that had to be auto-tuned. Does it burst any bubbles? And also we're talking about albums that we're aware of that have these things when there are millions and millions and millions of records, live albums that are touched up all the time. We have zero clue, zero clue.
1: Exactly, exactly, and that's that's the point.
0: Let's let's say you're in this position. So you've done you're in a successful band. You've done a big massive world tour. You're about to put together a live album and you've picked out the songs which work from the dates which work. You've got a nice say, let's say 15 to 16 track album ready to go, but they're like, "Hey, if you want to, we've set aside 2 weeks if you do any overdubs you want because we noticed on this song rocking around the big old mezza boy, you know, your big smash hit at the time. Um, or Mez Shreds the Blues, was oh, oh, your big oh. hit. You, There's a couple of rhythm guitar parts, which we can't hear. The microphones didn't pick them up. Or, oh, you flubbed them here. Or, oh, actually, your your amp kind of failed, but your your out. Um, what was pumping out was fine. And they went, do you want to come in and re-record it? You knew that it was going to sell like hotcakes. You know that it's a good product. How would you feel? Would you go in and re-record it? I feel like,
1: for the benefit of my fans... I probably would, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah. So, But what will your stance be? Do you think that's cheating? Do you think that you would be misrepresenting yourself? Or do you think that's like, I'm delivering a product. It's not someone that I can't replicate live. People aren't going to be disappointed when they see me. Why wouldn't I do that? But then where would you draw the line?
1: We're back into the scenario of being a human being. Hmm. Um... A lot of the arrogance tends to come from things like um, older bands who basically just want to... They have that whole thing of, oh, back in my day, you never had that, and you never had that. You were either good or you weren't. You could define yourself by that if you'd like. But I'm sure the Beatles had to put up with things like that. I'm sure Elvis had to put up with things like, oh, back in my day. And, you know, so... I I think if you're going to let yourself be defined by one error of music, you're being a bit silly. You're being a silly goose there. There's that phrase again.
0: Silly mother goose.
1: So I, I think it's dependent on how you feel about it. I think it's dependent on how, how the label feels about it because you've got to remember, no matter how sentimental your music is to you, this is still a product. This is still your business and your income And if you sell it, as it is, because you you want to live under the ruse of, well, no, ACDC never did that in 9.79. If you want to do that, that's absolutely fine. But do just be aware that when they release it and someone's going to buy it and go, this is bad. Your (laughs) sales are going to drop, kid. Yeah. So whatever you want, whatever you like.
0: Whatever you say, you're paying money for your live DVD. That's what we're saying. I weaved it, I weaved it weaved in. I
1: weaved it in there. Going kind to of weave that there.
0: The George Strait one, to me, was just a good example of that's post-production. That is a live album through and through, just with a bad post-production choice on it. Now, I found two records which, from the 60s, which do the same thing. They are fake live albums they both are basically studio recordings and that they've overdubbed audience uh loops onto it and made you think that these are live recordings um now obviously in the 60s i think early 60s maybe late 50s as well there wasn't really a lot of say especially in like pop and rock there wasn't really a lot of live albums it wasn't really a thing so it was quite a rarity um Two I found, which I think are really good examples of these kind of fake live albums. Joey D and his Starlighters, the Peppermint Twisters, that's 61. And then there's Johnny Horton on stage, 67. Um, Joey D's like a kind of rock rock and roll kind of guy, kind of boogie woogie stuff. Johnny Horton is a, a, a good country singer. Um, the Johnny Horton one is a posthumous one as well. It kind of adds a bit more to the kind of story. Um, but they're both fully recorded in the studio. Um, The loops are very noticeable. Now, obviously, this is the 60s. They're using tape. Um, I don't know how long it would take for them to put in 30 to 40 minutes of audience noise recorded somewhere. Maybe it was possible, but that might cost a lot of money. But it's very, very, very noticeable. A bit like the auto-tune kind of situation, the draw straight. Okay. So in Joey D's case, what's funny is there's like these whistles. There's like a pattern of whistles that happen and there's clinking of glasses. And you hear it every time. The second you start, the second you notice that, you just, you, you forget about the songs. It just, you just wait for that to come round and round and round and it becomes unnoticeable. Is that the right word? Yes. Not unnoticeable. You can't stop noticing
1: it. Uh, there we oh, go. Okay. I'll,
0: I'll, I'll, I'll learn
1: English. Conspicuous.
0: Something like Shimmy Part One, a song on there where the whole band fades out. So you're hearing this fade out and then the audience are fading up so it's not like this thing where <laughs> yeah it's not this thing where they finish the song and they're kind of crashing out on the cymbals like Duh. and then the audience are coming through and it's roaring it is literally like i've got two faders two volume controls i'm pulling the, the studio song down and then the audience are coming up like that and it's so unnatural sounding it's so unnatural sounding and whether that's a product of the times like you know you watch old tv shows like doctor who and sitcoms like that and you're like that obviously is fake you can just tell these things are fake maybe it was effective at the time for now it's so not it's so not um you know it's probably a cash grab this joey d one i think he was like a one hit wonder kind of guy um and they just wanted to go right let's just milk the cow for as long as we can record company went, let's just make a live album do whatever and he done live albums after this as well like actual genuine live albums but Yeah, to have this one was just very strange. There's a, I think the worst offender, really, to me, is like... He's got Shimmy Baby Part 1 and Shimmy Baby Part 2. Now, they're the exact same recordings. Great. But Part 2 has just had saxophone put over the top. Not great. Nothing has changed. It's exactly the same. And you can hear the bits again. There's these whistles. You can hear these whistles and certain bits on the vocals where you're like, that's exactly the same. Um, it's, It's just... Again, it's funny now. To me, it's just funny. I don't find that offensive. I think that's just a marking. That's how, that's how maybe it was back in them days, you know, not to echo your kind of thing of like, that's what they did in the 40s. That's what they did in these things. It was a very rare thing. You know, if you can't even go see this Joey D guy and you can actually sit down and maybe have some sort of experience, live experience there, and you're a young kid, then why not? Then why not? You know? um look at i think of all the times that i think of watching people live it might be on youtube and i think of the countless bands that i could sit and watch a live concert and i've never even gone and seen them live but i'm like a devoted fan of theirs but i would happily talk in conversation like now and other times i'm like yeah that gig they did in in 2008 was really good because this is this and i'm like i ain't even been there i ain't even been there so in a sense what's the difference they kind of serve the same purpose you know um But yeah, I mean, what's your your take so far on that? The kind of like the purposely making a fake live album. Do you think that's authentic as opposed to someone like Kiss doing a live two where there's varying degrees of like it's literally just Peter Chris on the drums is the only live thing and that's it? Or apparently they were recording songs at Soundcheck to about 100 people then adding audience later, you know? What are your thoughts there?
1: I think... I think that's bad I don't I, I'm not here for that that to me is a very lazy way of gaining fast buck Um, it's it's crass I think it insults the intelligence and the devotion of the fans there's no real empathy for fans in that sort of in that arena to me I mean, the fans may have loved it. I could be completely wrong. But for them to be doing things like that, where it's literally a case of the band's being turned down and the roar of the crowd's being turned up, the same four or five stock sounds in terms of plates clinking, people talking, cheering, whatever, that's bad. That's poor. And if I bought that, I would be writing a very strongly worded letter to somebody uh because that's imagine that's your favorite band imagine that's your favorite song and they've done that to me that's just that's it's just pissing all over you to be honest with (laughs) to be honest with you
0: like the johnny horton one right so it's a posthumous album anyway it's a few paragraphs by his wife on the back kind of thanking everyone for their hours of you know going through the hours of tape i think even johnny cash kind of helped out but I'm pretty convinced that studio recordings overdubbed with stage talking. So like there's separate bits of stage talking before the actual song kicks in. It's very noticeable because it's two different bits of quality. Um, And the audience track gets turned up every time there's a solo and it goes back down again. uh, It's very unnatural. So there's a song called Lost Highway where it's competing with the poor audio quality of Horton talking. Then it fades down and then you can hear the loop pop up then in the right speaker. it goes down in volume kind of does not necessarily a click but you hear it shift to the right then it gets a bit louder all while he's still introducing the song then when the new audio of the song starts the audience noise kind of stays the same so usually when someone goes and this is my new hit my shreds the blues everyone goes and claps it's just exactly the same yeah and then it it's like polite claps it just eventually fades out and then like then, during this live quote-unquote performance, you don't hear any crowd noise. So it's like even more noticeable, you know, this is throughout the whole album oh, now. Again, again, he's not there to kind of vet this process. You know? This is other people, and it could well be live, but I really don't think it is. Like, I really, really don't think it is. Um, but I'm, I can forgive this. I can forgive the Joey D one and the Joey Horton one, or Johnny Horton one, sorry. Um, I, I can view it in a similar way to what KISS and other bands have claimed to have done or actually done in concert. They're creating a live performance environment to kind of showcase how their live shows would be. The songs they were playing, the musicianship that would be present. For like Joey and Johnny, who didn't have the choice, they didn't have the choice to mind performances. They didn't have the option to backing tracks. Yeah. You know, it was very much like, if you, if you just don't got to play, don't care. Just play or not play. Um I can listen to those albums and know that maybe it was more of like a record label push to put something out to fulfill a contract. And I'm not mad at them. I think they have a certain charm, those old records. It's like a prototype for almost what has happened, like what the beast has become. And you could argue someone like Kiss Two, you know, Kiss Alive Two being worse than them because it is just, it's exactly the same thing. It's studio recordings or them on stage playing to a couple of people a couple of engineers then putting audience stuff on you know and countless other bands too but like to me i don't see the difference i don't see the difference i think if you can back it up live fine i think for a band like kiss i wouldn't mind seeing them play live if they're lip-syncing if it's a good experience dependent on the money yeah i think that's That's a big factor I think it's all dependent on can they can they actually can they prove their point yeah is my is my purpose can they prove they can do a live on cd yeah
1: yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Give us your last album, that you, your last live album that you looked at, please. So. I know it's a, a big old doozy, a big oh, one. it's it is. Go for it, kid.
1: So the album I picked was the Plastic Ono Band, live in Toronto. Um, now, a lot of people say exclusively side two. I listen to both sides uh, because perspective is is a beautiful thing. And I picked this because Marv, a lot of people may not know this, but he is an enormous Beatles nerd. Any
0: Huge Beatles nerd. Any
1: time I want confirmation on a fact, a little factoid, a little bit of information, or if I want to know how a guitar part's played, how they wrote this, anything at all, I go to Marv, because he is not wrong.
0: The big dog. I
1: don't think there is a single book on the Beatles you don't own.
0: I've got quite a lot of them.
1: There's nearly two minutes on the first track of nothing, like random intermittent noise. Guitars being strummed, guitars being chewed, just random noises. And then at one minute 50, we get, okay, we're just going to do numbers that we know, you know, because we've never played together before. And, and that was Mr. John Lennon that said that. Now, bear in mind, when I listened to this album, I didn't look at any backstory. I looked at the backstory as I was listening to it. And then Eric Clapton appeared. I was like, amazing. Clapton. I love Clapton. (laughs) So a quote from John Lennon himself. We got this phone call on a Friday night that there was a rock and roll revival show in Toronto with 100,000 audience or whatever it was and that Chuck was going to be there, and Jerry Lee, and all the great rockers that were still living. Bo Diddley, supposedly the doors were top of the bill. They were inviting us as king and queen to preside over it. Not play, but I didn't hear that bit. I said, just give me time to get a band together, and we went the next morning. So he said that in 1969. And it basically nearly didn't happen, because Lennon and Yoko decided to stay in bed. And Eric, Eric Clapton was unaware of the plans to meet at the airport in London before they went. So we're already getting a good feel for this. It's already going well. Okay, so it's
0: very organised at yep. the
1: minute. Uh, I have done a little bit of a rundown of songs. It's a little bit more like a review than anything else. So it's very slapdash sounding. There's a very good reason for that, and that's because during only the flight, the band actually convened, threw together a set list, struggled to hear guitars over the airplane's engines because they had electric guitars and not acoustic. Um, As we've already discussed, John was addicted to heroin and going through withdrawal at the time. Is that correct, Marv?
0: Definitely something to that degree. Like He was definitely throwing up a lot. Probably probably a mixture of nervousness from I mean that was his first live performance, wasn't it? Really, since since the Beatles stopped yeah, touring. So yeah. probably a mixture of nervousness and the heroin, but maybe the
1: heroin had a lot to do with he it. He does not look well. He does not look well on the video. Blue suede Shoes, Clapton as a as a big old shred. It sounds like a jam. It sounds like a jam. However, it sounds like a jam with very good musicians because there isn't a lot of our experience of jam bands you you kind of get a sort of base level as to how this is going to play out don't you whereas this this seems better uh there was a bit of a shaky finish then we've got money that's what i want is john out of time in the first verse it sounds like he's off by about a beat or half a beat or something it really does sound like and then he kind of gets the rhythm of it i might be wrong um clapped and shreds again. I'm here all day and all night long for some clapped and shred. All the time I'm here for it. Uh the same ending as the first, just kind of like a dead dead shh you know, kind of whatever. What's
0: what's the ending go again?
1: Just the classic rock ending, you know. Classic mez definition. Yes. <laughs> um Dizzy Miss Lizzie I've just put fine. That's all I've got for that. Your blues, I didn't put anything. Now, that is side one, am I correct?
0: Believe so. Also I love your blues. I love it on the white oh, album. Yeah,
1: amazing. And I
0: think I think I really like it on this album too. Like it's just great. It,
1: do you know what? A really good performance from Lennon on vocals, considering what was happening at the time really good performance mm. solid vocal performance and then we get to side two oh, no. so i'm gonna talk through these and then i'm gonna because i know you know more about this than i do but i'm gonna talk through these and then we're gonna convene so i've done the same again we've got cold turkey the first note i made was yoko you okay hun weird flailing high-pitched instrument very unusual uh some very strange vocal noises going on then we've got give peace a chance um i've forgotten those bits in between but i know the chorus so thanks john thanks a lot uh this is terrible was this written or is is it an ad lib um Lennon's lost the plot. Uh, He's trying to tune at some point. And then we have Don't Worry, Kyoko. Now, this is where the downhill stroll becomes an unstoppable train with no brakes and a lot of things in your path. (laughs) This is where I have made most of my notes. (laughs) So the first point, and now Yoko's gonna do her thing all over him. I don't think there was any way to prepare for what was about to happen to my ears, but um, that was one way. <laughs> that was one way of uh, signalling what was about to come. At least, at least he warned. He, you. he, he had. He did warn you. So, <laughs> this is as I've written it, by my own definition, a blues jam with Yoko helplessly trying to express herself using any random note that she can lay her chords on with more vibrato than anyone ever needed, intertwined with the most hanging whales I've ever heard. It's like she's on a boring roller coaster and trying to overplay it.
0: Hanging whales, Hanging whales.
1: Did you like the last bit as well? I didn't even hear it because all I could hear was hanging whales. It's like she's on a boring roller coaster and trying to overplay it. <laughs> utterly unlistenable
0: <laughs> oh wow uh,
1: Is that bad I, I enjoyed the millisecond of feedback at the end I have never been so happy to hear feedback in all my life <laughs> anyway we now have John John Let's Hope for Peace the pinnacle of this album the pinnacle she just can't sing. Why is this being allowed? I can't even call it avant-garde. It's too bad. Random guitar chords with Yoko shrieking over the top. There is no respite. Who asked for this? The bits where she stops and those slight hums of feedback are a welcome rest. I've never been so willing to hear feedback in my life. Maybe I just don't understand it. It's too arty for me. I was too unkind about the previous track. This is utterly unlistenable. (laughs) He could have backed out at any time. And my final point, at roughly 18 minutes, 56 seconds on the video, Eric Clapton has a look. This look cannot be described by any being, but I can only assume he is feeling exactly the same way as me. And I'm gonna call it four minutes before the end of this, I called it. That was it. I was out. <laughs> I couldn't you tapped I out. couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't do it anymore. Side A, go and listen to it. Side B, I, I can't even describe it. There's no word I can say that can put across how bad I think the these pieces of music are. <sighs> I know
0: pretty much as much as you chap. Um, obviously this is around the period of let it be an Abbey road. Yes. More specifically let it be. There's this woman who's, she's had a child, Kyoko, um, who's been taken away from her by her ex-husband who I don't believe she sees maybe until the mid seventies. It takes a long, long while for her to actually see her, um, Kid again, didn't know that, so that adds a little bit of like a kind of a definition to that. Um, is it Don't Worry Kyoko song?
1: Don't Worry Kyoko, yeah,
0: yeah, you know. So her shrieks are like desperate pleas, and the feedback it's just kind of it kind of encapsulates maybe the way she's feeling in her brain, and the only way to the only way to get rid of that feedback is to shriek is to scream over it. So like you said, it then gets to the point where the feedback becomes something you crave that you want. Whereas in other circumstances, feedback is something you don't want. It becomes unwanted and it's very sparse and in between. And you know, Lennon's bored of being a Beatle and playing conventional music. And I think it shows, I think it shows, you know, he's he very much wanted to go back to his bluesy kind of roots, which is what *Your yeah, Blues* is about. Like again, it's an interesting document of that time. Nothing is necessarily doctored. Like you said, if if Lennon is kind of off beat uh, at some points, that's exactly how it was. It's a momentous occasion, and granted, it's not the best live thing ever, but it's still a momentous occasion. And the fact that this is John Lennon performing live for the first time since they that since they stopped in '66. Yeah, I mean, the Okawana stuff, yeah, it's not amazing. It's not for me. I can't exactly listen to all of it all the time. I'm not, like, invested in um, those kind of freak-up compilations and stuff. But, like, I think it serves a good purpose. And, again, as a live album. It's as true and as raw as you can get. It's more true and raw than the majority of, you know, all these other live albums that we talked about and ones we hear where they've been doctored and heavily edited. Maybe he shouldn't have not done it. And go give us a couple of weeks, we'll rehearse up and do all that. But then, what would you then be left with? You'd be left with pretty perfunctionary, good run throughs of blues songs. You probably still would have had the Yoko Ono stuff. So, I don't think it makes any difference. I think it would have been almost a bit more like a throwaway album than if it was kind of like a good quality live thing. It's interesting to know, like you said, they couldn't even hear themselves rehearsing on the plane. They've just decided the set list. A few of them, you know, John Lennon, Yoko Ono, Eric Clapton, Eric Clapton weren't even aware about doing the gig. They just turn up and play. Isn't that interesting to see, like, the rawest form of these big artists? And that's where my head is at for that.
1: I like that. I like that. And do you know what? You've you've swayed me because now it's not just, it's the classic, isn't it? Oh, bloody Yoko, she's off again. I don't think I'm ever going to listen to Don't Worry, Kyoko or John, John, Let's Hope for Peace again. I don't think I will. Um, It was an experience. Um, I'm glad I've heard it. I'm glad I've heard it because it's you as a musician, you should listen to everything. You should listen to anything that could give you potential inspiration. You should get it from everywhere. Um, But um, like I said, obviously, I was viewing it from the unkind eyes of the fickle consumer. Yep. You know, why? Where she loves you. Play one we know. Come on. Um, so, no, and like I said, side, side A, I'm absolutely fine with. I actually enjoyed it. It was nice to hear. And <laughs> you're you're right, the rawness of Clapton alone, just doing his thing. How grand is that? Even cold turkey, I could deal with. Um, give peace a chance is pretty much my limit. I could criticize it to the end of the end of time, and I I already have given it quite a lot of flack. However, it's um, John Lennon, and I haven't written anything nearly as good as Imagine. So,
0: well, I mean, your theme, your intro theme, song's pretty banging. That's pretty
1: good. Yeah, but come on, Marv, come on. Spon,
0: the spawn will come rolling oh, right. Come so. roll
1: especially when we've had an argument and I'm claiming rights and suing
0: <laughs> like a child.
1: That's mine! That's my bit of soundtrack!
0: I would say, if you want to listen to good Yoko Ono, listen to Let Me Count the Ways, which I believe is on Milk and Honey, which is the John Lennon posthumous album. Um, Let Me Count the Ways is a nice little beautiful song. Um, I think it shows a like fun side to Yoko Ono. It shows a side that you wouldn't, like, you'd be surprised that is Yoko Ono, as much as you're surprised that she does 20 minutes of shrieking.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And again, the, uh, I kind of feel bad now guess. don't worry Kyoto I view that as something that's difficult to listen to and ear piercing etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, so it's nice to have that come from a different perspective I would encourage people to give that a lesson a
0: lesson the lesson is have a listen to all of these albums so the George Strait one is the Cowboy Rides Away Life may TNT Stadium really give that a listen and see if you can kind of handle the amount of auto tune that gets put across of it joey d and his starlighters the peppermint twisters you can only get it on youtube um same as that elvis presley one the johnny horton on stage That is again is another youtube one um and another one that you mentioned oh the john Lennon the
1: plastic ono band live in toronto listen yeah. i'd say listen to it in order
0: yes please go listen to his albums and we want to start a new kind of segment of like second thoughts or you know we basically want to hear what you, the listeners, what you think of these albums. Please go and listen to them. DM us on Instagram and Facebook, and leave us comments on our YouTube's and carrier pigeon. You know, carrier pigeon. We accept carrier pigeon. Exactly. Um, tape it to the back of a bread roll and throw it, and just see if we get it. You know, so like, j- just let us yeah, know. Let us go look. on another Let's one. Send us a message on one. Xbox on.
1: Live. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Hire oh, a plane it. and write the yeah. message in the sky above our houses.
0: YouTube comment theater. This one comes from the video. I was made for loving you. Paul lip sync song. Kiss at Hershey Park PA Stadium, 21st of August, 2019. Tonight, I'm going to fake it all for you. In the darkness, there's nothing my tracks can't do. And tonight, I'm going to prove my voice ain't beat. Because I was made for syncing it, yet still sounding like just poo.
1: Paul, put on a great show for everyone, including yourself. absorbed lonely Prius-driving, minimum-wage-making an ass. And you're gonna be like, oh, he was lip-syncing. Boo-hoo. He is 67 years old. Just shut the hell up. Hey, it's the guy who hates kiss and yet searches the YouTube all night looking for kiss videos so you can troll
0: everyone, you fucking pathetic loser.
1: You really are a low-life virgin, are you? If you feel the need to go on every single kiss video and spam your comments, oh, and by the way, your ass is reported for spamming. Now go do something productive with your life instead of obsessing over kiss and hating on them 24 7.
0: Oh, the butt hurt. Grab a tissue, Petal.
1: Someone sounds butt hurt. That I said the truth. Grab a tissue and cry your eyes out, baby.
0: You said some truth? Where? Oh, and try and come up with something original, Petal. I know you kiss idiots struggle with the intellect of a midget, but please try.
1: Oh my God, we understand you don't like kiss, so stop bitching and moaning about them.
0: Let's put your grandpa up on stage in eight-inch heel shoes and a costume and tell him to sing and play guitar for two hours.
1: <laughs> I want to see that. <laughs>
0: I want to see my poor granddad, Davey, get up on stage all the swag and go for it.
1: He'd probably do a love better that. job, to be honest.
0: But there you go. That is the uh, podcast. Yes, it is. Hey, he's brought out the old voice changer. Just love once. That, love once that. per
1: episode. I'm not telling you when.
0: Please let us know your thoughts and opinions on the albums we've talked about. We're really, really interested and we want to start this new segment up and we're going to go out now with one of my buddy songs, uh Sordade City by Uncle Sue. He goes underneath Uncle Sue. That's U N C L E. S U. Very, very good skateboarder. If you like hip hop, like chill hop, all that kind of stuff, that ballpark, you're going to love all this stuff. You won't be disappointed. And next week, we're going to be doing cover albums, Mez. Looking forward to it. Artists. What happens when artists start singing other people's songs? Does it go right? Does it go wrong? We're going to talk about the wrong ones, defend them, see what happens what's going on. And... That's all I got, buddy. So, uh, rock and roll, kids. See you all later. See
1: you later, kids. Keep on rocking. Eat your greens. Brush your teeth. And learn maths.